0: How does creating the life of your dreams in 2016 sound? Or what about helping someone else do the same? With Christmas approaching, the You range of inspirational products is all inspiring. Choose from vision board kits, a gratitude box, a job box, coaching packages, and more. Gifts start from just $5. To find out more, simply go to wellinu.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-E-U-X.com. And click on the Christmas catalog to help make 2016 incredible for you and the people you care about. if you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes, share The Real Food Reel with your friends and continue to spread The Real Food Love.
1: Hi team and welcome to the next episode of The Real Food Reel. Today on the show we have Bob Sieberhart, board certified specialist in sports dietetics, the former director of sports nutrition for the University of Florida and sports dietitian for the US Olympic Committee. Today, Bob and I chat all things sports, nutrition, and physiology. Hi, Bob, and welcome to the show.
0: Hello. Thank you, Steph. I am honored to be on here. So, uh, so uh, a very warm thank you to you.
1: Wonderful. I'm really excited to chat with you today. But before we dive in, can you set the scene for us with some more information about yourself um, and certainly your career to date?
0: Absolutely, and I'll, I'll try to be as brief as possible. But um, I, I do have a, what people like to refer to as an alphabet soup after my name. So academically, I've, I've got a few degrees in um, exercise physiology, metabolism, and food science and human nutrition. So I've been through the ranks in in um, you know the education system regarding exercise science and, and the metabolic pathways and biochemistry and nutrition. So it's kind of lent for my my career that I kind of set up as a physiologist, as a sport dietitian. I'm a registered dietitian. By but I focus on, on sport uh, for athletes. Um, I've, I've been a strength and conditioning coach for 15, 16 years now, and I'm also an endurance coach. So I coach a lot of triathletes, um, both at the Olympic level and down all the way down to kids and teenagers. So um, currently I'm the owner of Energy Performance, which is a performance uh, and fitness training center in Littleton, Colorado. And we offer everything from physiological testing, metabolic efficiency testing, all the way to endurance coaching, training, and in a recovery center in here. And then we also do quite a bit of sport uh, nutrition with my six dietitians that I've got on, on board with me.
1: Yeah, awesome. You have a, a really good suite of services. And um, I'd love for you to um, actually start with um, – the term metabolic efficiency for us. Yes. So I know that you wrote metabolic efficiency training, teaching the body to burn more fat, back in 2009. Which Correct. For us, it was you know quite early days compared to what we see now in um, sports nutrition and endurance training. So, can you take us back to you know certainly what that term means to you? Absolutely. And, and then perhaps your your view on the evolution in the in the last um, you know seven years or so
0: absolutely yeah and and it's it's fascinating because there's there's never a day that I don't speak about metabolic efficiency so uh the the quick and dirty on this is years and years and years ago i think this was around 2000 2000- 2002, I believe it was, and I've been working with athletes and specifying, um, or specifically working with endurance athletes. I am an endurance athlete, so obviously that was my niche, and it really ran across a lot of endurance athletes uh, having GI distress, nausea, vomiting, bloating, diarrhea, those kind of things in 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 endurance events, and you know, not able to sustain a good body weight, body composition. So I was, you know, back then, you know, 13 years ago, I was kind of racking my brain as a as a practitioner, thinking, you know, why why is this happening to me why is it happening to my athletes so this is this was the birth of metabolic efficiency was actually because i couldn't figure out how to decrease the the chances of gi distress in endurance athletes and what I ended up doing, and I, I did everything practically that you could do from a dietary perspective, um, and practically, I, I said, there's got to be something else I'm missing. So I, you know, I went kind of back to my books and what I learned through my undergrad and, I, and my two graduate degrees and read papers and, and you know s- went through all my physiology and, and biochemistry books. And I, and I came upon something called the crossover concept. And, and I remember learning about this my freshman, sophomore year in undergraduate physiology but you know, some of these things leave, leave your brain and you're thinking, oh, okay, I learned it, but how applicable is it? It turns out that the crossover concept was really the, the formulative birth of metabolic efficiency because the crossover concept, and very similar to what I'm describing with metabolic efficiency, describes the, the, the amount of fat or carbohydrate that your body uses or burns, if you will, at different intensities. So as I played with that a little bit more and I really looked into that and I started being my own guinea pig, I realized that if you could manipulate daily nutrition in athletes, you could actually manipulate the percentage of fat versus carbohydrate that they burn in training could be swimming, biking, running, does, you know, endurance skiing. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. So, so I, I was looking at that years and years and years ago, and I thought, well, this is great. The crossover concept traditionally was only based on an exercise model, and that's how a lot of people know it, including um, physiologists and some dietitians these days. They say, oh yeah, the crossover concept. You know, exercise at low intensity, usually a zone one or zone two, and you will burn more fat. And while that's true at the cellular level, it only accounts for a very small portion of teaching your body to burn more fat. So, so what I've done in the past 13, 14 years is start to pave the way in asking the questions, what can we do nutritionally? To, to have our body burn more fat. So that's what I was working on in 2002. 2003 was the first year I actually presented on it at a, at a national conference for sport dietitians. And I didn't really have the concept down yet until really 2005, 2006. I started to get a lot of athletes going through the process. And literally all I was doing was manipulating their daily nutrition in, 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 in favor of controlling carbohydrates. And adding more fats, maybe you know, making sure that protein was was consistent. And it wasn't until you know 2008 where I said, I've, I've got something. You know, this is eliminating GI distress. Athletes are losing weight. They're keeping their body calms down, and they're able to maintain higher power rates. They've got higher watts per kilogram, higher velocities while running, and they're able to have a strong immune system, sleep patterns. Then I start, you know, so then I wrote the first edition. Then I started looking at the blood markers, and I found. That the blood marker is associated with a controlled carbohydrate diet, a little bit of pr- more protein, a little bit more fat, where it was, was phenomenal and profound in positive effects. So now I started seeing, in, as a sport dietitian, I look at blood work all the time and I started seeing better inflammatory responses, you know, better, um, higher good cholesterol, lower bad cholesterol and I just started putting the whole picture together and it wasn't really until probably 2010, 2011 where I've, I've started to, I don't want to say perfect, but really gain a very good understanding on the metabolic consequences of high-carb, low-carb, controlled-carb and really looking into the dietary patterns of these athletes and how it can be manipulated. So it was, It's kind of been a great evolution and, and you asked about the evolution of sport nutrition Unfortunately, while it is changing, the landscape is changing somewhat in the United States. It's still very slow. There's still a lot of what I call old school researchers really holding on, latching on to their research of you know 10 to 15 years ago about high carbohydrate and performance. And, And basically these people are not just willing to to do what I did 13, 14 years ago and say, let's have an open mind and let's just you know let's see it what's out there let's see what can be done with this this specimen of a human body so the evolution is slow there's still a lot of people that are on the high carb bandwagon um, that, that certainly don't need to be. And especially with a lot of these studies that are coming out, especially Dr. Volick's that, that, that just came out, I think it's creating a better environment in the research world to actually support this controlled carbohydrates, uh, metabolic efficiency way of doing things. I'll tell you practically though, we, you know, myself and my other sport dietitians, and even some of my colleagues around the country, we've been doing this for six, seven, eight years. Practically in the field and having just tremendous positive effects on athletes.
1: Oh, absolutely! And I think it's a really cool story that you just shared with us. I can only imagine um, how many blank stares and strange looks <laughs> you would have got back in 2013. Oh, sorry, 2003. It
0: was, it was amazing, it, and by my colleagues, you know, by 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 registered dietitians. Mm. I remember leaving that presentation thinking, "Wow, I've never had such a quiet audience mm. who have looked at me." like I was an alien
1: (laughs) yeah I always say it's like I'm speaking another language to some people
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely
1: so um what I was going to ask you actually is how conventional was your previous approach so when you were coming up with the GI distress and all the inflammatory responses to high carb low fat or certainly what we once recommended were you were you very conventional in your prescription and certainly what you did personally
0: I was the most conventional yeah. you could probably get. So yeah. so back in you know the, the mid nineties and early two thousand is when I was um, finishing I, I did my undergrad and my graduate work. And you know, back then what as a dietitian coming out of, of academia in the United States, they they teach you how to be clinical, a clinical yeah. dietitian working in hospitals and doing our rotations. And I came out of my clinical rotation thinking all right, this is great. Like, I've got a lot of numbers. I can run grams and kilograms, and I can do all this stuff and calories. What I found coming out was the only thing that was taught for athletes was high carb, low fat, little bit of protein, but only at the right times. And I was, I was that, that athlete. I grew up an athlete, and I always kind of followed. You know, I'm, I'm also Italian, so I grew up in an Italian household, very high carbohydrate. Mm. Um diet, so it was it was a game changer for me, but it wasn't you know I, I call it brainwashing. I was that typical new sport dietitian who was brainwashed and carbs, 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 nobody understood the benefit of fat and it it really it wasn't until I started challenging myself and asking the question, why do I believe in this? you know what I, I, I understand that there's research, but there's something that is not going right. Something conventional is not correct in this equation, um, and that's that's when I started to flip the switch. You know, I still remember a lot of my early a lot of my early career Ironmans having GI distress, and you know, having to stop at the porta potties every mile during the marathon. And, and I remember those times, and they're so prominent in my head because they're so disturbing that I think that's what really fueled my fire because I didn't want athletes to experience what I experienced. And unfortunately, we still have athletes experiencing that.
1: (laughs) Well, there's a few things there. I mean, I think, firstly, there's this acceptance of it being normal.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. When it
1: certainly isn't. And, you know, I say to everyone, like, why would you do a 16-week build and and try to get so fast and so fit to have such an interruption with toilet stops the whole way home? Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah and it's you know it's it's a it's a it's a game changer. I mean you can think of the how many hours an athlete spends training and you know sometimes you may get GI distress sometimes you may not. But the race it's it's usually one race that is so important for that athlete that if 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 you're talking about GI distress or the risk of it that We don't want to roll the dice, you know. We don't want to leave that to chance, and that's that's one of the main concepts that comes out of metabolic efficiency. Although it's definitely evolved, and not you know, it's not just about GI distress anymore. It's a lot like I have a huge focus on health and longevity with it now because we we've got a lot more data in terms of what controlling really at at the end of this, what controlling your blood sugar really does for your health and your performance. So it's there's there's a lot more that, that that meets the eye.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So many benefits. So let's talk yep. more around, um, we call it the crossover point. You call yep. it the crossover concept, same thing. Yep. So, yep. um, what was your personal experience? Do you know where your crossover point was and perhaps where it is now? Yeah,
0: <clears throat> I didn't. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, hmm. so I actually, so, so in, it must've been 2003, 2004, um, when I was starting this as, as a phys- as a trained physiologist too, I was thinking, okay, if I've got these nutrition ideas, there must be some way to test them, right? So, and that's where I, I actually created not only the metabolic efficiency concept, but also the testing. And, and back then, you know, 10, what is it, 12 years ago or so, I started messing around a little bit with a metabolic card. And I had a lot of experience in VO2 max testing, respiratory testing, lactate testing. So, I started to play around with some different protocols. And yes, I, I, did, I did find it and I did test myself. And I will tell you, back then, I had no crossover points. None at all oh, because, wow. yeah, and, and I was, I mean, that was in the thick of my Ironman training too. So as you can imagine, a lot of base miles, right? The traditional, follow some base miles up with some strength and speed. But but I was surprised. I was shocked. I was thinking, why why is that? I'm a very fit person. I'm, a, I'm an Ironman athlete for goodness sake. Why do I not have a crossover point? And it is attributable 100% to my high carbohydrate diet. And again, you know back then it was pasta 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 rice potatoes like everything carbohydrate that you could put in your body that was processed refined and and you know now that we know very high inflammatory um so so over the years it's been a great experiment for me i do metabolic efficiency testing on myself about maybe 3 to 4 times a year um, unless I'm really being a guinea pig for something Um, and I will tell you this that I can alter my metabolic efficiency literally in a week or two if I go a little bit more towards the carbohydrate side or a little bit less toward the carbohydrate side so at at, at one point as I was saying I had no crossover points at the peak of my what I call experimental phase for myself and I did a huge experiment with myself that was 4 weeks long 3 years ago at the peak of that my crossover point happened at 89% of my VO2 max. Now, if for for everyone listening and for yourself, the traditional crossover concept or point in research has always been between identified between 63 and 65% yeah. of VO2 max. So that's that it, it got my attention because again as a physiologist I'm thinking, "Ah, oh, 65%, that's probably where I'm going to see it." And then that 189% and we've had a lot of athletes that we've tested, that some of my colleagues have tested, we've followed that up and we've seen, you know, above 70%, above 80%. So what we're seeing is the ability to change the landscape of an athlete's physiology where they can actually achieve higher fat burning rates at higher intensities relative to their VO2 max or max heart rate. And that's what the old research doesn't describe. And, and because, and, and remember again, because they only had an exercise component, they were doing low base training, low volume, low intensity, they did not assume or account for a nutrition intervention. And that's the that's the, the beauty of metabolic efficiency.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that's the best part that we see in you know, following the nutritional intervention, that crossover point shifting to the right just changes their entire experience.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's unfortunate. Like I I read research articles like crazy and, you know, they just, they keep on referencing you can't burn fat at higher intensities and Mm -hmm. I just, just, it, it, it almost upsets me because practically we've been seeing this for at least five to eight years with athletes that you can burn fat at higher than 65% you know, intensity or relative intensity based on VO2 or heart rate. So it's, it's a bit concerning, but you know, the, the practicality of it is it's happening, it's working. Um, we're seeing a lot of athletes in the States from ultra runners to Ironman, even down to short course, adopting it and really becoming a better athlete and, and as described as improved health and improved performance.
1: Oh, absolutely. And as you mentioned briefly earlier, volex work and the faster study that's just been published right. yep. um, will be the game changer because finally oh. we've got that research to support what we've been doing for or what you've been doing for 14 years and what a lot of us have been speaking to but still getting that backlash of where's the research and we exactly. believe the upper if- limit is one gram of fat per minute whereas right, FASTA right. has blown that out of the water
0: yeah. And it's you know, there are and, and I get it. I mean I I did a couple masters degrees, I did some research, I understand the research side of it and I understand there's such significant limitations and, and I think every researcher will tell you that where they, they can't they can't study practically as much as they want to and and so we have to understand that we have to keep that in mind but at the same you know in the same breath I think researchers have to understand that you know I I always say this that that us you know uh, our, our dietitians our coaches in the trenches working with athletes we're probably about two to four years ahead of the research that they're gonna do because of one, all the processes they have to go through to get a study uh, funded. And, 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 and then going through the research itself could take years. And then obviously the publishing. So I, I see a lot of what we've been doing has been working great. And it, and it I, I, knew, I knew Dr. Volek would step up because this has been his, hmm. been his baby for 15, 20 years with carbohydrate metabolism. So I, it was just a matter of time. And it's, it's, it's a breath of fresh air right now.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that's going to be yeah the game changer as I said and um I guess you know we've got to remember what you said about the the period of time that it does take like getting that backlash from people and saying where's the research is you know it doesn't mean that the that doesn't exist doesn't mean that we haven't found that in the field at ground zero and I think that's where it can be quite frustrating for someone like myself because um we know that it takes that that extra three or four years before we can get a publication. So we end up being in front of the research, um, which is great for our athletes, but for those that are a bit resistant, it means it takes them so much longer than it should to start to experiment with an approach that gives them that athletic longevity and optimal health.
0: Absolutely, yeah. You know, I I think the good news is when most people try a dietary shift, like we recommend, and and I I I will say I do not recommend a key, a full on ketogenic diet for most athletes because I don't think that's sustainable. Um, I I think it's it's very healthy and it works as we know, but I I want to make sure that it's a lifestyle change yeah. and they can actually periodize this throughout their training and their life. So I haven't found that you know a ketogenic diet is necessarily um is is an is a is a necessity essentially. What I've found that that I you know I've got kind of a sweet spot for the carbohydrate control that I call it um, throughout a daily basis, and I periodize it based on a tr- an athlete's training cycle. So my my sweet spot, if you will, is consuming between 60 and 150 grams of carbohydrate per day. Yeah. And I, and I fit that into their training cycle. So as their energy expenditure is going up, then obviously we, we account for that in carbohydrate needs. As it's going down, same thing. But if, if you look at that number, when I tell people that number, they are shocked because... And in, in I, I came from the same conventional uh, wisdom, right? I used to eat 400, 500 grams of carbs per day because I thought that's what my body needed, right? And when you say 60 to an athlete they look at you, if they know their numbers and what they've done, they look at you like you are crazy, right? right? The good news, is, it only takes them to, to feel the benefits of a nutrition intervention. It usually only takes about one to two weeks, right? It takes a lot longer to be fat adapted. But the feeling of, wow, I feel better. I have better energy. My sleep patterns are better. I, I may not get sick as easy, but you know, my training is good. I'm recovering faster. That is, the great part is that is such an, a, an acute finding with athletes is it doesn't take too long for them to actually say, this works. Right? It, now, it may take months and months and months to be able to get their crossover point or what I call a metabolic efficiency point you know, closer to their VO2 max but at least they're seeing some beneficial health and performance improvements in the early beginnings.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think I think you make some good points there about ketosis to start because you know This needs to be a lifestyle. Like my crossover point without any specific intervention, any really much training was well over 80%. And that's only because I've been eating this way for a long, long time. I can only imagine what changes I would make if I was to do a four-week experiment like you did a few years ago. And that's what I try and share with my athletes. It doesn't need to be drastic, but we need to start to get that periodization. As you say, I think too many people make the mistake that they need to eat the same every day absolutely Which can't make sense for these athletes that might have a one hour day or a rest day or a six hour day in terms of right. their output so we've got to start to really think about the needs of the individual each day and certainly within the build
0: exactly yeah and i've you know a lot of people say oh this is just for long endurance athletes i mean I have implemented this in, in bodybuild or you know, fitness competitors, weightlifters, uh, sailors. I used to work with the US Sailing Olympic team. It, it, it's it's there. You know, it can be the recreational person just going out for a 5K or training for a 5K. So I like to spread the news that this isn't for elite athletes, elite Ironman athletes. You know, I like to I like to make sure that everyone re- knows that there are significant health and performance benefits to it. Um, you know, as an example, my, my mom is, follows a metabolic efficiency plan. She's not an athlete. Athlete, but but she appreciates the blood sugar control and what it does for her health and in her aging continuum
1: oh absolutely and the satiety that people get and the freedom they get from being hungry all the time or having those cravings or yes. energy slumps in the afternoon those changes are huge for everyone regardless of whether they're sedentary or as you say an elite athlete
0: absolutely absolutely not to mention
1: the longer term health benefits
0: Oh, and I—that's you know—I I will tell you in my experience because I've wor- I've been you know blessed with working with a lot of great high-level athletes and I'll tell you the one thing that comes out came out a lot of those discussions was you know how can you just get me better performance wise and you know I've always had to remind those top of the top athletes that y- you need to actually promote more health at the same time of performance because you want your career to be long withstanding. you don't want it to be a one or two year plan here so I'm actually I'm I'm that sport dietitian that comes in for that aging athlete and says how can we get a few more years out of your career and and it is it really only takes usually a couple of dietary interventions towards metabolic efficiency. And now you've created a better hormonal response, a better recovery response, and a better immune response in their bodies.
1: Yeah, and that's one of my favorite things that's happened lately with this shift that I've seen the last three years is that I have athletes approaching me with the goal of athletic longevity, which I think is just awesome. It's not about necessarily getting leaner as goal number one, which, you know, it might be a nice benefit of LCHF or metabolic efficiency, but
0: the fact that
1: they've got that goal to be the healthiest and to be able to do a sport that they love for many, many years in the future is just an amazing transition from my point of view.
0: I agree. I agree.
1: Cool. So I wanted to actually talk to you about short course versus long course, or as you say, sort of speed athletes versus endurance athletes. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Yeah. What's been your experience with kickback against um, that it will make me slow, and that it's not necessarily for short course athletes?
0: Yeah, it's, I've had a lot of kickback yeah. actually. Um, it's you know you have to. What I, what I always like to do is I always like to define uh, you know short course athletes. So when an athlete comes up to me, I'll you know and they throw around short course versus long course. I need to understand the duration of activity because you know it does come down to the basic biochemistry of how many carbohydrates do we have in our body that we, you know and we usually you know females usually around 1400 1500 maybe um, males more towards a 16 18 2000 mark what grams. that relates into is, it, um, I'm sorry, in calories, Yes. right? Mm. Um, so we have those stores in our body and that, that usually gives us about two, maybe maybe three hours lucky of moderate intense exercise that we could actually suffice on our carbohydrate stores alone, right? So now that we know that we could go out for a two hour run, two hour bike ride at moderate intense ac- activity or, or intensity, I know where that definition of short course should be. So when when we're talking about any athlete uh, you know competing in under a 2 hour event that's the that's the kickback right that you're talking about because they're like well my my sport is fueled all on carbohydrates and my argument is you don't need to feed exogenous or supplemental carbohydrates during your training or during your race if if in fact you are under 2 hours or you know 2 hours and change so one it's changing that landscape Two, it's making sure that the nutrient timing is very and this is I am huge on nutrient timing because if, if you don't you know if you go say you, you do a track workout uh, in the you know in the afternoon and you're not fueled for that track workout, you may not be able to do the velocities that you need to make a physiological adaptation for your body from a, from a physiological perspective, not nutritional. So what I tell athletes is we need to make sure your body is well fed before these high-intensity workouts and it's the exact same before a race day. So to that point, obviously with metabolic efficiency, we know that once you develop the body's ability to burn more fat, you reduce the need for for burning a lot of carbohydrates. You're, you're, you're basically preserving your carbohydrate stores better. For long course, it makes total sense, right? You don't have to carry that much. You don't have to eat that many calories per hour anymore. Now, for short course, what that does is it allows you to, one, um, create a better digestive environment. Because typically, as you approach higher intensity training or racing, the gut is more susceptible to GI distress triggers. So, thus, if you're if you're racing at 90% intensity and you're trying to suck down an energy gel, that may not work well for your digestive system, right? Yeah. So, for our short course athletes, it's basically saying creating the independence of of many calories during their event, which could obviously um, lead to uh, pre- uh, eliminating GI distress. The other thing that I see as a huge benefit for our short course guys and girls is it really does play on weight management and and body composition um, processes and techniques. And, you know, I've I've worked with a lot of our our Olympic triathletes here in the States. And, you know, when they come to me asking for a two pound decrease in their body weight because they want to run, you know, five seconds faster per mile and they're 10K off the bike. You're thinking, all right, this is this is going to take some work, but that's the short course mentality. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah so free speed. and I mm. also have to remind them, yeah, it's free speed. I also have to remind them that you know, even though they may be young or old, it doesn't matter if they're doing short course, we still pay particular attention to health. And, and this, is, this is a really, really interesting thing, Steph, that I've started finding because I don't want to use the word mandatory, but I'm, I'm strongly encouraging all the athletes that I work with to get preliminary blood work done yeah. um, because a lot of them don't know about their genetics, right? They may say, oh yeah, mom or dad may have diabetes, but what did it get passed down to your generation? Does it skip a generation? So what's been enlightening, and in, in, there's no correlation, but a lot of my short course athletes are coming to me saying- I've, I've got some health issues as noted by my blood work that I didn't know I had. So that's another great opportunity to talk about recre- creating that blood sugar control, creating that metabolically efficient state.
1: Yeah, I think blood work can be really powerful, particularly for people that might only view this benefit as being um, from a body composition point of view. Like if they're already lean and fast, they think, okay, well, why do I need to change anything? But if we can see either you know, some blood sugar dysregulation, or certainly high inflammatory markers, we can get them to start to think about metabolic consequences and long-term health benefits of moving out of that conventional approach.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to run across, and I have too, you're going to run across some people outside of the bell-shaped curve that are just, call them what they will, uh, freaks in nature, that just, you know, they can consume high carbs, they don't have GI distress, they don't have any, any genetic predisposition to chronic diseases. And, you know, I've met a couple of those athletes in my life. Um, but it definitely doesn't happen most of the time.
1: Yeah. Very rare. Mm. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So talk to us more about nutrient timing. So if someone's feeling a little bit slow when they first Mm -hmm. make the move to a metabolic efficiency approach, what would you Mm -hmm. change?
0: I would so it's it's really interesting and let me see if I can answer this question with with what I'm planning on saying so it's it's, it's funny because if, if you uh, you know I, I, I what I call carbohydrate unloading so I unload an athletes um, to you know usually over a period of four to six weeks because most athletes come to me you know eating a high carbohydrate diet so we'll unload them so they don't completely shock their system and, <laughs> and lose you know it. as yeah. an example if they're eating 400 grams of carbohydrate a day and you know a lot of the athletes un- unfortunately that we work with are very OCD and type A, probably like ourselves, and they say, oh, you know, I want to drop it to 60. And it just doesn't work the first couple days because um, they get really cranky and your body just doesn't want that. So what I do is I usually step them down or unload them. And at the same time, what we start to do is we find out what the body, what their body needs before workouts. But my, my my point here is if I take them from 300 or 400 or 500 grams where they start of consuming carbohydrate per day down to let's just use 100 for easy math. So we've, we've decreased by three to fourfold over four to six week time. What I like to do then if if we agree that the 100 grams a day is good for them, they feel good, good energy level, good sleep, everything is is checking out. What I will do is introduce 15 to 20 grams of carbohydrate in the window before a quality training session. Not not just a, I'm going to go for a 45-minute aerobic run, but it has to be quality. There has to be a speed or a strength component. So Just that little bit of of carbohydrate, 15 to 20 grams, which is significantly below, it's about half of the conventional uh, recommendations right now. That is usually what i found it takes for a more, more of a metabolically efficient or fat-adapted athlete to reap the benefits of a little bit more sugar in their system to achieve higher velocities, higher, higher power output, really higher intensities for that particular training session. Whereas back in the days, we used to recommend 30, 40, 60. I mean, it's even recommended up to 90 mm-hmm. grams of carbohydrate in that window. And that's, that's just, it's sickening. Right. The, the magic
1: so,
0: ninety. <laughs> the magic ninety, exactly. Yeah. So, so, would
1: you do that for a short session, so there would would be no sort of longer term blood sugar implications, or do you think that's yeah, going to be pretty stable? Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so I look at I look at their training, and you know, if if they're working with a coach, I I try to get the coach in it, and just just to understand how they're periodizing their athlete. Um, usually, athletes do not train. High intensity, too many times per week, right? Usually about twice, maybe three times, depends on the sport and their training cycle. So, absolutely, I only choose the ones that are 90 minutes or greater in session and that have a quality focus. Um, and, and certainly not, you know, like for Ironman athletes, I'll certainly not, you know, if they're going to go for a five hour bike ride at, at a zone two or zone three, which is kind of a moderate aerobic pace, we don't bother with that. You know, they get up, they eat a normal blood sugar stabilizing breakfast and go off on their way. Um, but, but typically, I, I, I do agree with you, I'll periodize that so they don't get used to it, um, but so also they don't get sensitive to that um, and, and they're still in that metabolically efficient state.
1: Yeah, and then obviously they can utilize that strategy on race day.
0: Absolutely, and the beauty of that, since you bring that up, is you know a lot of these athletes in the past conventionally have always said, you know, a week before the race, they said, you know, Bob, how do we? What race day nutrition plan do you have for me? And back in the days, we're like, oh my gosh, I've got to put together this huge spreadsheet, right? Nowadays, the, the beauty of this is in becoming more metabolically efficient. Is you actually prepare your body to to do what it needs to do nutritionally. What happens is you're also developing your race day nutrition strategy, mm. hopefully knowing it, um, but you don't have to make changes. Like there's no carbohydrate loading. There's, you know, a lot of these athletes are asking me, well, what do you want me to do the night before? Well, what do you do usually the night before a quality workout the next day? That's what I want you to do.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So it does simplify things like crazy.
1: Oh, it's so awesome when an athlete can just cruise through race week without any. Ridiculous oh. protocols and huge volumes yeah. of food to try and consume, yeah. and I and always it- test all of my athletes. I'm like, you know, when we have our, the consult leading up to race, like, okay, so what's your race week strategy? What's your race night strategy? And just to test them to, to make sure they say. Everything stays the same, nothing exactly,
0: changes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Correct. It's music, music to their ears, too, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's funny because during the taper, right, energy expenditure is less. Exactly. And that's when athletes have traditionally, conventionally, been told to increase their carbohydrate intake. So now, like I've seen in, in the past, years ago, I've seen athletes gain five to eight pounds that week mm. because they've eaten so much more during a taper. And, and that's just, it's absolutely incorrect.
1: Oh, and it's so unintelligent when you think about it. Yeah, mm.
0: exactly. Mm.
1: Very like cool. That. So I wanted to touch on the faster study with you just briefly. We had Peter Defty on the show back in episode um, 35, I believe. So yep. we've gone through that in, in quite um, detail. But what, what are your thoughts on FASTA and, I guess, the future implications of Volek's work?
0: You know, I, I, one, commend Dr. Volek for, one, Bringing this out in in public view i mean he 's done a lot with in with carbohydrate metabolism and insulin resistance, and now to take it to the more and i, I don 't want to use the word elite, but definitely advanced athletes because I, I knew a lot of those athletes that participated in a study, they are definitely in advance, and it kind of gives us an idea of what 's happening inside that body. I appreciate the fact that we know now that you know, kind of back in the days, we knew that if you could feed your body a lot of carbohydrates, um, you could actually prob- probably, most likely, absorb more carbohydrates. And and like you were saying earlier, the window was closed in terms of how much fat we could actually process and 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 utilize for energy. So I appreciate one him opening up a new window of understanding of fat metabolism opportunities in the body. Um, two, what I really really appreciate is is the fact that he is. He, he took the two groups, right? Because most research is just, sometimes they take two groups, sometimes they don't. I love the fact that he comes out and he says, listen, the, the high carb diet, yes, they burn fat, but the lower carb diet burned exponentially more fat and were able to sustain the pace sustain the, the intensities. The thing that I really like about that study is now comparing the performances of these two groups of athletes because that's what a lot of people have poo-pooed in the past.
1: Well, they have, but also most of the studies have been done without the adaptation phase. So, of course, the yeah. athlete's not burning more fat because they've only just cut the carbs they've been relying on for decades.
0: Right, right. And, and, you know, it's a good point. Like, I just read a little bit of research this week and was asking my team of dietitians to to uh, really uh, go through it with a fine-tooth comb. And, you know, a lot of the comments on a lot of these studies that we're still seeing is, you know, you're talking about a 5 to maybe seven, maybe 10, if you're lucky, day intervention program, the body doesn't adapt in, in terms of that, that fat adaptation metabolic efficiency in terms of performance and what we're seeing in, in blood markers. It doesn't adapt that quickly. So I, I love the fact that he took these, these athletes that have been following the LCHF and then are following the high carb and that was their normal daily nutrition plan. Because that that allows us to get a better understanding of the chronic nature of shifting your nutrition one way or the other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And certainly with the understanding that these athletes have been doing it for a number of years as well. Right. So have had that, like Zach Bitter and I know... Uh, John Rutherford, Ben Greenfield, like they've been doing it for a couple of years. So their metabolism has completely shifted to the right, shall we say?
0: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And it's, I I see a lot more research, you know, I I think what Jeff has done with his research is he's now sparked the interest. I mean, this was not a pilot research study, but what I think it's going to do is really now encourage a lot of the PhDs in, in the United States, actually in the country, to say, that is interesting. I've got some grad students. We're going to, they're going to start replicating it. They're going to start changing the protocols. I love that to death because now we'll get an even greater understanding in terms of the science side of, of what we're seeing in the practical nature of this.
1: Yeah, again, with the science finally catching up with what's happening Absolutely. in the real world.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Which sometimes doesn't even happen. I mean, some of these things that we've used in in practical situations sometimes is, is never really researched or they, you know, sometimes they find um, some, some decent things but not great performances. I mean, I, I teach this. I've, I've also developed the metabolic efficiency training specialist certification. And it's funny because when we teach these new specialists to go through this, we actually analyze the past research, and it, it is so funny because because I remember a few of these. Their conclusions are, you know, there is no statistical difference between lower carb and higher carb uh, on performance, and and what I teach these new people coming into this is. You have to actually read the methodologies, the results, because in fact, it, it, I and I can remember two off the top of my head, two of these studies actually did show improvements, real-time improvements, or I guess real-life improvements, but statistically... They were not um, of value because of power, or sample size, what you know, call it statistical method that they used. But you know, I remember one that that was specifically an increase. I think it was an increase, eleven percent increase in power, um, which extrapolated into like four minutes of 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 a triathlon. You know, being ahead four minutes of your competitors. So. We, we have to be careful of the research we read and not just go to the abstract or the conclusions, but actually have that fine eye to pick apart these research studies. And that's that's one thing that, that I love to specialize in and just bring to the public's attention.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, I don't know the public really understands that even the sports nutrition studies that we've seen over the last four or five decades have been funded by coke or nestle there's been a vested interest right so we haven't necessarily got the answers that we are now getting with independent research like even with what tim Noakes is doing with the Noakes foundation now being able to fund these studies on on diabetes and and the benefits of lchf is fantastic because there's no vested interest so we finally get to have a look at some some cross-sectional studies and um, certainly the long-term benefits of this approach
0: yeah, very true very true yeah. yeah it's it's an exciting time for everyone i i will tell you that i mean it's 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 exciting for me because I'm starting to have some scientific validation to metabolic efficiency. Um, but but you know I think if, if I would have just rested on my laurels years ago, I, I don't I don't think we'd be having this conversation, to be honest with you. I, I you know I've been I've always been that that sw- that salmon swimming upstream, that you know, always challenging conventional wisdom, not in a bad way, but always asking the question why. And you know, I, I think it's finally taken course that that we've got some some validation scientifically in addition to hearing about all the these athletes and all their performance and health improvements it's it's fantastic right now
1: oh absolutely and i don't think we would be where we are without you like we're really grateful of you being a pioneer with metabolic efficiency and certainly pushing the boundaries for over a decade when you know it wouldn't have been easy back then for sure
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it it wasn't. I mean, it was, I mean, if you can imagine, you know, my conventionally trained wisdom going against other conventionally trained wisdom and just being a little outside the box, like people didn't get it, you know, and people are much more receptive these days. But back, you know, 15, 18 years ago, people were looking at me like, no, you've got to, you've got to shut it. You know, you've got to take it to a different place now because people are going to start thinking you're crazy and your reputation is going to be lost. And I don't know, part of me just, just, Part of me said, I don't think that's true. You know, I think there's something else here that that nobody has looked at before.
1: Yeah, and just quickly, what sort of um, challenges have you come up with, like the board perhaps? Like we see in Australia and in New Zealand, the dietitians that are moving away from the carbohydrate recommendations, they're actually getting... what, what shall we say? They're getting the or getting threatened, well, having their oh,
0: um, interesting, their, interesting,
1: their qualifications stripped or their insurance yeah. stripped, and so there's quite a lot of problems with those that are underneath the Dietetics Association of Australia or the Sports Dietetics Association here in Australia yeah. and New Zealand.
0: It's that's fascinating. I haven't heard that, and that's it's somewhat problematic because mm. you know I think we're all in this trade. We're all we're all kind of together, you know. Mm. I I haven't seen any backlash. I certainly haven't felt it. The reputation has not taken any dings. Okay. Um, you know, I still I still speak nationally. Um, what I will say though is a lot of my old school, well, not my, but a lot of the old school dietitians here. Are not grasping that concept, so there, there it's clearly defined and clearly separated. What I'm also seeing is a lot of these new dietitians coming out of school, and our 20 or 30 year olds, they're starting to actually have this open mind because I, I will tell you this, um, and especially with my concept nutrition periodization, it is actually in undergraduate and graduate textbooks, so they're being taught that finally. Some of them, it d- really depends what I'm seeing. It depends on the institution that they do their education at. Some are very progressive and some others are not. But at a, at a dietetic standpoint or a, an academy standpoint, I have not seen any backlash. And, and in fact, I think a lot of people, you know, I belong to a lot of sport nutrition listservs. A lot of my colleagues are, are actually appreciating the fact that we're starting to chal- challenge in a good way. You know, we're starting to ask questions. And I, I think it's more appreciated than it is looking, da- looking down upon right now.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting. It's d- certainly a very different environment to what's going on in Australia and New Zealand. So yeah. hopefully it won't be long before we catch up.
0: I, I think I should come down there and we should have some uh, discussions.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm thankfully... Um, you know, removed from that, not being underneath the DAA, but yeah, certainly to see colleagues getting threatened and even with what Tim notes is copying in South Africa, it's horrendous.
0: Oh, I bet. Mm. I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, and you guys have, you guys have a lot of prominent sport dietitians who've been doing this for quite a few years in your area. I think that's part of the the challenge, right? The conventional wisdom. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I'm hoping that we'll see some shifts um, you know, I think someone like the DAA, they, they can't ignore the research when they, their, their foundation is based on being um, abreast with modern research. So yep. we can only yep. hope that they will start to slowly change.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I, th- I think we can all be optimistic. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, and, and if not at the higher level, you know, maybe we can see some change at a, at a lower level and, and actually affect some change at a higher level.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Which is why we keep doing what we're doing.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> so I just wanted to touch on a little bit of fueling and um, talk to you about any, uh, sorry, some of the products that you recommend to your athlete. Oh, yeah. So we are going to yeah. have um, some of the guys from UCAN on the show okay. in, yeah. um, rec- in, in episodes c- coming up in the near future. So yeah. I just wanted you to share with us um, your recommendations for sports nutrition and and why you're involved with UCAN. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I w- I will say this: when you create a better metabolic e- efficiency state in your body, you definitely require less calories and less mm. carbohydrate per hour. We we know that we've proven it with testing, with obviously with real life. Um, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not going to talk badly about the simple sugar products out there. I will just say they are not as necessary anymore mm. um, as we create these different nutritional athletes. Right. Mm. So that's that's my my first uh first note to say that but I will say this you know years and years and years ago my my UCAN story, my generation UCAN story is, is quite funny because I was at the University of Florida at the time and one of the founders was trying to track me down and had had called Florida and I had I had since left and gone to the US Olympic Committee and he got a hold of me and you know I, I get I get calls and I'm sure you do too, you know, weekly, monthly basis saying, Oh, I've got this product and you're like, Oh, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Right. There's there what are they gonna say on this one? You know, what what can be different? That in my mind, I'm like, what can you change for this to be different? And he approached me and he said, you know, we've got this product and, and we have no idea if there's any application in sport nutrition, but we love your, your experience, you know, based on your experience, we just love your feedback. So he told me a little bit about it. And at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, it, it may have some application, but I would really have to see some research um, to, to just know, like, if, or, you know, kind of prove what you're saying. And usually that closes the door on most companies, right? They're like, oh, thank you for your time. I guess I won't be talking to you anymore. But it's fascinating because then a couple of years later, he called – and I, had, I hadn't heard from him. A couple of years later, he called me up. He's like, okay, we have research. Can I send you the study? And I was, I was I was taken aback. I was thinking, are you serious? Mm. You actually – you had research done, so they they had research done at a university level here in the states, and you know it, it showed exactly what he thought. And at that time, I told him, okay, so you've got one research study, and granted, it's one, so people are going to pick it apart and they're going to chastise you because it's only one, and it was done on males, and and you know you yeah. can go on and on. Yeah. But I said the results actually support what you were saying. So, and, and at that point, this was years ago. At that point, they weren't on the market yet; they weren't even called Generation You Can. I said, I think if 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 you really put this to the test, I think this could revolutionize the way I as a practitioner work with athletes in terms of products. And right there he you know you could just see the gleam in his eye, he was thinking, "Wow, we actually might have something yeah. here because they weren 't even thinking about the sport nutrition market. it was merely for and, and you 'll hear the story when they talk to you, but it was it wasn 't for sport nutrition, so it was it was great in that aspect, and they 've grown it and they've they 've fine tuned it um, so i I love recommending using it myself, but generation you can because." It doesn't have simple sugars. It doesn't like everything the research says. It doesn't spike blood sugar. It doesn't spike blood insulin level. It actually promotes more fat oxidation during exercise. And for those athletes that you know, I'm very, very much a food first model. um, Whenever I can, in terms of my sport nutrition practice, but. uh, and I know with myself, if I'm going to do an intense workout, I can't eat before it. It's just my stomach cannot handle that. Mm. That's where I found a lot of application with Generation can because it actually has a high molecular weight, which means it empties through the stomach very quickly. But then because of its molecular structure it absorbs across the small intestine very slowly so it does give you longer energy um, bandwidth if you will so I have never had an athlete have ever have GI distress with it um, their energy you know they're using it during long course racing which you know I, I've had success story upon success story with only using you and you know for Ironman racing going between 700 and 900 calories total total for an Ironman um so it's it's a phenomenal product and one of its kind. You know other companies have tried to step up and use different waxy maize starches but it's not it's not the same way and the same I, you know you can has a patent on, on how this starch yeah. this you know it's a non-GMO corn starch that they cook right they cook for 40 hours. So they've got the patent on that nobody can replicate it. They they try but it just doesn't act the same as mm. as the Yukon does. It's phenomenal. And I mean, to that point too, I use it for a lot of non-athletes also, right? So for the weight loss crowd, works great because of that blood sugar stabilization. You know, if they're in a pinch and they need a snack and they don't have food accessible, then that works like as a phenomenal replacement for a snack.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, we've been using it for, for quite a number of years with our athletes and, um, you know, it's great that we've finally got a product. Um, although I'd prefer people to, to to make their own. I think that's you know right, the practical right. considerations for even you know for busy times or, or travel. Absolutely. It's great that we've finally got something that we can rely on. Um, Absolutely. That's not going to spike our blood sugar and give us um, gut problems or diabetes in the
0: uh-huh. future. <laughs> yes, yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's that's a lot of you know. I, I think you can go hand in hand with with looking at that. And you know, I'm big on just creating a, a hormonal balance, a blood sugar stabilization balance with food and looking at carbohydrate, protein, and fat, putting that together. But but the beautiful thing, like I always tell the guys and girls at Generation UCAN, I say, I can do the same thing with food. It just so happens a lot of athletes can't tolerate food, real food, before or during exercise. So Generation UCAN is phenomenal in that aspect.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, as I said, it's great that we finally got that option. So- yeah. Yeah. yeah, I look forward to speaking to the guys and, and sharing the full story with, um, with our audience.
0: It's, it's a real inspirational story. And I, I love the fact how they got started. You know, it wasn't to make mm. millions of dollars. They, you know, there was a huge purpose behind the company.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Very yeah. good. Yeah. So I'm conscious of your time today. And I, um, I just thought we'd finish up with a couple of quick questions to find out yeah. more about what you're up to. Have you Absolutely. got some, some news in the pipe work that you can share with us or what, what's your goal coming up for?
0: Yeah, so we've, you know, a, a big push is creating, we, we've actually redeveloped, I, I guess enhanced would be the right word, um, our metabolic efficiency training specialist certification. Mm. So we're actually teaching people but we're, we're actually targeting fitness and coaching professionals in, in one certification and then health and medical professionals Which includes nutrition professionals in another certification. Very excited about that because we actually get to get to have the 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 right uh, language in both and actually talk to them about what they're seeing in their field. So it's not going to be one of those confusing confusing certifications. So that's in the that's that's in the almost well we're implementing it now for 2016. Um, In addition to that, we're actually doing a little bit of of research here now at Energy Performance with our our facility. So we're looking at um, right now we're looking had a supplement called carnitine. So we're, we're for a company, we're doing a little bit of research on carnitine and fat oxidation. So we get to do some metabolic efficiency testing around that. And we're actually going to be doing some, some UCAN studies and comparing UCAN against other conventional sport nutrition products to, to note the, the blood sugar effects and performance effects. So really, really exciting things coming down in terms of, of what we're creating with the whole metabolic efficiency concept itself.
1: That's awesome. I love that you're doing some research as well. I can't wait to see the results. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's it's nice to have that that uh, that link or that spoke on the wheel um, to be able to say yes, we are real life, but we are you know while we're not an institution, uh, an educational institution in terms of a university, we actually do provide research and research data and you know kind of the springboard of understanding these concepts a little better.
1: Yeah. Amazing
0: yeah yeah and then you know i, I obviously keep bu- busy with coaching athletes and doing a lot of sport nutrition i'm I'm mentoring a lot of um nutrition professionals uh right now and metabolic efficiency training specialists so i've I've kind of created that role of of becoming um in addition to my practitioner role being really a teacher and a leader in the trade so we can actually have some of these nutrition professionals that are just coming up understanding more about nutrition periodization, metabolic efficiency, um, inflammatory, uh, you know, markers. So we're really trying to provide a little more real-life education mm. and, and mentoring opportunities.
1: And that's just the best way. Otherwise, you know, it ends up being a handful of people um, sharing your knowledge and obviously exactly. you, you can't see everyone <laughs> as much as that right your... <laughs> right
0: yeah 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 keep I spreading love the to. Yeah, <laughs>
1: time-wise yeah absolutely keep spreading the love and and we'll get that yeah. message um to everyone eventually
0: <laughs> absolutely it's it's happening i mean like we've talked about it is happening it's just been it's been a little slower adoption process
1: yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely very yeah. cool so where can our listeners find you bob
0: Oh you can find me well you can you can google me and find me anywhere but if you go to my <laughs> I mean seriously, I've, I've written so many <laughs> articles. Yeah, did you? Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, Ener- energy performance is my is my, my business, and it's E N R G performance. Uh, we're based in Colorado. Uh, you can you can find anything on the energyperformance.com website. You can get a hold of me with my email address, bob at energyperformance.com. So I'm a pretty easy guy to get a hold of, and you know, so are my team members. They're they're a, they're a great um, aspect of of the energy team, and really helping us to understand. The nutritional and even the exercise components of of how we change nutrition with athletes and non athletes.
1: Amazing! Thanks yeah. so and much you can
0: find you. my you can yeah. find my book on my website too. So oh, yes. I, I know a lot of your readers are, and I do have an ebook version. Um, I can ship uh, to Australia and New Zealand. It just costs a little bit more to ship, but there is an ebook version on there also. If you want to understand a little bit more about this.
1: I have just got my copy of your ebook, so I look forward oh, to sharing. Fantastic.
0: That. <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. Thank
1: you. I don't know why I haven't already got it. <laughs>
0: I don't <laughs> the second edition is much more enhanced than the first. So that's it's definitely worth the read.
1: Yeah, awesome. Very good. Cool. Yeah. So thanks so much for your time today, You're Bob. And thanks for all the work that you do in our field and sharing all your knowledge with um, our listeners today. It's been fantastic.
0: It's been my pleasure, and I would, I would love an invitation back at any time.
1: Oh, I'll, I'll take you up on that for sure.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. You're welcome. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.